How you guys doing? Doing all right? You know, that is my greatest desire more than anything. I just, I don't know. There's times when you want a new car. There's times when you want to buy a house. There's times when, I don't know, you look forward to the sweet goals in life. But when it's compared to seeing a generation seeking the face of God, it really just doesn't compare. I mean, it's not even an issue. It's not even a question. My greatest desire is to really, I think, conquer a city for the name of Jesus, for the kingdom, Um, just to really take the whole thing over where there are thousands of people bowing at the name of Christ and uh, exalting his name and blessing him. Um, Young people everywhere that are really submitted to God. I was just talking to a friend and it was like, You know, it's something along the lines of Christians don't. What do you tell people? You know, who say Christians don't know how to have fun. I was just like, what? What, what do you? T- I, it just, it doesn't make any sense. It's like an invalid question. You know, it, it's like saying, you know, Josh, when are you going to start growing hair? It's like it just, it's not going to happen. Asking questions like that make absolutely no sense to me because. The very definition of Christianity is giving up what you desire and submitting yourself to God's desire. That's it. You stop doing what you want to do and you start doing what God wants you to do. And if you don't do that, then you're probably not a Christian. But I was raised in a Christian home. Okay. You can call yourself whatever you want, but it doesn't make you that. call myself the President of the United States as many times as I want. Doesn't mean I am. There are many running around in this generation, in this city, who claim and bear the name of Jesus Christ, yet they live completely contrary to what He desires for their life. I'm not saying that I haven't sinned, that I'm not a sinner saved by grace. You're looking at a big screw-up right here. God has been gracious to for some reason. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not a faithful, dedicated man. I can tell you that. I know who I am. But I'll tell you one desire that I have deep down inside. I will never stop pursuing God till the day that I die. Even if I sin a thousand more times, I will repent a thousand more times. I will keep repenting. If my sin finds me out and I ruin my life, despite that fact, I will continue to pursue God all the days of my life. What else will I do? Buy a house? What else can you do in this life that is so much more epic than serving God, seeing people's lives changed, and then when you die, you walk away with a blessed life? I always think about my funeral. I always do. Because I'm going to die. No, don't say that. I'm going to die. And what a glorious day it will be. Death is not a loser for me. It's my biggest winner in life. It's the biggest thing, the biggest accomplishment I could go through with. I hope I die preaching Jesus. But the reason I think I'm able to say this is because, I don't know, I just kind of tasted of a lot of things in the world. And it just, 
it doesn't work, man. I think I'm just kind of fed up with it and all the pride that goes along with it and um, just really gets to you and it really tears you down, really mess up your, if you want to mess up your life, just run in the opposite way of God as fast as you can. Just do that for two or three months. You'll get jacked up really fast and then repent. Come back to God. Some people need to do that. Did you know that? First Corinthians tells us that some actually need to be turned over to sin where you look them in the face. I've had to do this. I did this to a brother. I looked him in the face. He was ticked. I said, you boast about your sin as if God isn't good enough for you. So in Jesus name, you go and you sin and we turn you over to Satan. I hope he destroys you. And when you're ready to come back, I will pray for you and I will minister to you. But you go and you're not allowed to contact the church. You're not allowed to fellowship with the people of God. You are cut off from the church. And you go and you experience the world because you said it's so awesome. So you go and you experience it. And if you want to come back, you can. But you come back with a repented and broken heart. You're not going to spit in the face of God. No. And he was ticked. But guess what? He came back to the Lord. And he did. He reached the bottom of his bucket, man. And that's what it takes, huh? Isn't that sad? For some of us. But for you tonight, I hope that doesn't have to happen. I hope you wake up and say, you know, I don't want to seek God with all my heart. What am I doing? Wasting my life on me. What a great life to live. Just all about me. I just live for me. Buy my car. Get my money. Get my house, get my family. All about me, man. That's what I live for, man. That's the coolest. Yeah, right. If you want to get depressed, think about you and live for you. Yep. Go look at Hollywood. Tell me they're happy. There's nothing like serving God, family. You've come to the right place tonight. God is going to minister to us and speak to us. Only by his word, not by this foolish man, but by those powerful words, I guarantee it. So I'm blessed you've come with hearts ready to receive in Jesus' name. Reminds you, something just happened this last weekend. Incredible. I mean, maybe you don't think it's that incredible. I thought it was. We were there at the bonfire. What bonfire? Well, the college study that I get to teach at and be a part of. Um, we went and had this fat bonfire, and our pastor was preaching speaking and uh some like you know 40 year old woman or so was walking by wasn't even a college student was walking by and she heard the message and she heard what was going on started ministering to her heart and then she just walked away god convicted her that night and she decided to go to church the next morning well guess where she decided to go to church harvest christian fellowship (laughs) where this pastor is from and um she sits down in the seat and guess who's sitting right next to her Yeah, the guy that was preaching at her that Saturday night. And she looks at him and she's like, were you at a bonfire last night? He's like, yeah. Were you preaching last night at a bonfire? Yeah. You were preaching last night and I got convicted and felt like I needed to go to church. So I came here and now I'm sitting next to you. Absolutely divine. Isn't that awesome? That was just coincidence. Okay. God is good. He pursues his people. He really does. Because he loves his people. 
But um, is there anything we need to pray for in here right now? And Nick, what what is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if you guys really realize what that um, implies and requires. Um, but war is no joke. Okay, it's not a video game. Um, if you get shot, you're really going to lay there. And um, if your friend gets shot, he's really dead. And you'll look him in the face and see that. It is no joke. And um, there's a buddy who's out there right now. He's come to this Bible study, and his friend died right next to him. And he's just been wrecked and um, been trying to pray for him and encourage him. Um, but, man, that's why I pray that angels would surround the brothers, you know, who are going. Man, that's just how I know because I know God can do it. In the Old Testament, one angel slew like 130,000 men, one angel. It's like, man, somebody rolls up to like cap on one of our boys and all of a sudden angels just like stand there like, what? Huh? We've got to pray. And we've got to pray, more importantly, not that they would just be protected, but that they would be prophets in that land and minister to all the soldiers who are hurting. There's no atheists in foxholes. Nope. When bullets are coming at you, you're praying. When a bomb's going off next to you, hey, you're crying out to the living God real quick, huh? And so we're going to lift that up, Nick, absolutely. And we've got to pray for Austin, too, because Austin's going to be going here really soon, in a couple weeks, a couple months, I think. Um, let's lift it up, family. Let's let's pray from our hearts. Um, Lord, we want to thank you that we get to live in a country and really do whatever we want. Uh, the restrictions are, even though some very ridiculous and we complain about them, we're pretty free. And it's because people die for our country every single day. And uh, we're not the ones fighting, Lord. Look at us here in this coffee shop, all comfortable, doing our thing, doing life. We're thankful that you let us live here in this country. You didn't let us be born in Asia. You let us be born here. And we recognize your sovereignty and your power and your control, and we say thank you. And we do not take it for granted. But, Lord, I want to pray for the soldiers who are over there even now. God, I pray for Nick and the crew, and I pray for Austin Barnhill. Please, God. I pray, God, that you would protect them, that they wouldn't need a bulletproof vest because they would have angels around them, and that nothing would be able to come near them. Uh, they would be so protected, it would be a, such a supernatural thing. And as they are protected, the only reason they are being protected is to preach your gospel and your truth to those who are around them and need to hear it. That hearts would be convicted that men would repent of their sins and turn to you with all their hearts, give up their lives to serve you and to live for you. Oh God, it's needed. Please God, I pray that the armed forces, such a desert, such a dead place, so many who claim to know you yet walk completely contrary to your word. I pray that revival would break out amongst the armed forces of the United States and that there would be so many rise up and recognize they need you. Oh, God, hear the prayer 
of this man here. Please be gracious to me, King. I pray your hand a blessing upon these guys. Thank you for being a God who hears us, who hearkens unto us. We love you, Lord. Bless them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, um, we got a night ahead of us, okay? Um, we got some studying to do and some diving into the Word, and I'm telling you, it is going to be an I'm like so fired up about this because I was just reading through, and I just, I don't know. I can't. The Word of God is so powerful. I don't even know how so many preachers mess it up, you know? They, they, it's like, how do you mess it up? There's so much in here and there's so much sweet stuff. I mean, you just read it and it just starts coming to life everywhere. And we get to do that tonight. We're going to look at a book tonight called what? Obadiah. Huh? Oba what? Obi-Wan? No, not Obi-Wan. Obadiah. Obadiah. Does anyone know what his name means? Oh, you Bible students. Yes, servant of the Lord. Isn't that great? His name is servant of the Lord. What's your name? Bobby? Jesse? Larry? What is your name? His name was servant of the Lord. What a powerful name, huh? Whew. I want that name. My name means salvation of the Lord or Jesus saves or Jehovah saves Yeshua and uh, it's a blessing to have that name as well man but Obadiah was a servant of the Lord that's for sure and he we don't know much about him other than his name we really don't really know his family and we don't really know anything else about him he's just this prophet he was a minor prophet and uh, you remember the minor prophets, the reason why they're called minor is because what? You, you, you remember? This is a book short. Not, they're not short, remember? It's because their book is short or their letter is short or their prophecy is very short. And so that's the only real reason uh, they call them the minor prophets. But these guys were prophesying in the times of the kings and the times of the reign of Israel. And uh, Obadiah, interestingly enough, is ministering or preaching to not necessarily Israel, but another nation, the Edomites, Edom. And there is only two prophets who actually do this, who don't speak to Israel. They speak to another nation. That's Obadiah and Jonah. Remember, Jonah spoke to who? Nineveh. Yes, Nineveh. And uh, we have Obadiah speaking to the Edomites or Edom. And um, this is the shortest book in the Old Testament, if you didn't know. It is one chapter, and it's 21 verses. Isn't that, you're like, you're, you're so happy right now, aren't you? We got lots of time, man. We got lots of time. Come on, gird up your minds. Take in some word tonight, you know. Have a meal or something. Those little Kit Kat candy bars, you know? Man, little sermonettes. Mm -mm. There's really two points in this book. The judgment of Edom for cursing Israel. Number one, the judgment of Edom. Why? 
because they were cursing Israel. And you know in the Old Testament, what does it say there back in Genesis? Hey, those who curse Israel will be what? Cursed. And those who bless Israel will be what? Blessed. It's true. That's what it comes down to. You curse them, you're going to be cursed. You bless them, you're going to be blessed. And the judgment of Edom is coming on them for cursing Israel. And number two, we see Judah's restoration towards the end of the book or the last few verses. Judah being Israel, the people. More than any other book, this one is, and more than any other nation, I should say, is a picture of the wrath of God coming down. We see more wrath dumped upon Edom than any other nation in the Old Testament. Amazing. These guys were wicked. Now, why were they wicked? We're going to look at that tonight. We're going to see exactly what was stopping them from being righteous. And the greatest thing that God hates more than anything. It's going to be a good night. How about we just dive right in? Obadiah means what? Servant of the Lord. Father, we pray that you would bless our time together as we open your word, that you'd speak to our hearts. God, I pray for every person here that they would not miss out the opportunity to bless your name by listening to your word and taking heed to it, applying it to their lives, letting it come into their hearts and into their minds, transforming them. We pray for wisdom tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God, concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. Okay, arise and rise up in battle. Okay, Edom. What is Edom? Where did it come from? The nation Edom came from Esau. Who was Esau? Everybody remember what his name means? Harry. Esau means hairy. What? His name was Harry? Yeah, what if your name was Harry? It's a bummer, huh? Hi, what's your name? Harry? Hmm. Harry. Interesting. Well, Edom came from Harry, and um, Esau had a brother. Do you remember his name? Jacob. Jacob. And do you remember they were even fighting and they were twins, right? Twins. And they were fighting in their mom's stomach, right? Kicking each other and going after and Jacob grabbed onto his heel. When they were born, he actually had his hand on, his, on Esau's heel as they were coming. Esau was born first, then Jacob. But Jacob got his name. That's what Jacob means, heel catcher. And we know that uh, they were against each other for... A long time, the rest of their days, because why? Well, Jacob came in and did what? Stole the blessing of his brother. Do you remember? Esau sold his blessing to his brother for what? A bowl of porridge, a bowl of soup. That's sad. Because the firstborn gets the blessing of the family. And so Esau was the firstborn. Jacob wasn't supposed to get it. But Jacob worked his brother. He was kind of the sissy Lala who hung out in the kitchen all the time with his mommy. And Esau, Harry, he was out there in the fields rolling around in the dirt, okay? He was a man, okay? But when he came in one day, he's all really tired, and he wants some food, and he's starving, and Jacob's in there cooking away. 
And he makes him some soup, and he's like, man, give me your birthright. Give me your blessing, and I'll give you some soup. And he's like, all right, I don't need no stinking blessing. Give me that soup. And he pounds the soup, and he loses the blessing. Do you remember what their father's name was? Isaac, yes, Isaac. And do you remember who Isaac's father was? Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, the father of the faith. Father of the nations. Remember, he laid his son Isaac on the altar to sacrifice him. Do you remember? Well, that Isaac, that boy, raised up and had Jacob and Esau as his boys. And Esau rebelled against the Lord. And this is where the Edomites come from, is from Esau. And so that's who these people are. And Esau had this nation come from him through wicked women. He went and lay, he went and married uh, multiple wives, and when they were not, um, well, they were not followers of God. They were heathens. And he went and married them and had children, and this is where this nation, the Edomites, come from. And so God is rising up against them, and look at verse 2. He says, Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. Verse 3, here is the problem with Edom. The pride of thine heart has deceived thee. Thou that dwellest in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Look at these prideful, arrogant people. Who shall, who shall bring down our nation? Nobody. Because we're the most prideful nation on the face of the earth. That's what they were saying. Pride was in their hearts. Why? Because it said they hid where? In the cleft of the rock. Where was the place of their stay? They had a couple different places. But one of them was Petra. Petra. What's Petra, Josh? Petra means rock. And Petra is a place that is still around today. If you've never been, I've been there twice. It's incredible. You walk into Petra, there are over, guess how many caves in the city? It is a, it is a city of entire rock. Solid mountains, just rock with caves everywhere. The most incredible carvings you will ever see in your life. Over 30,000 caves, and these people live there. They stayed in the rocks. What's so special about Petra? Listen, there's one passage to get into the city, and at times the passage is only 12 feet wide. And so guess what? If a big army wanted to come through, how are they going to squeeze through 12 feet? When the sides of the walls are hundreds of feet high. So when enemies would try to come into the city, you know what they would do? They would just dump rocks on them. they try to walk in. Like 20 men could take out an entire army just by dumping rocks on them. Dumping hot oil and all kinds of things on them. What can you do? It's the only way in. So they were completely protected. There were hundreds of thousands of people living in this city. Completely protected. Amazing. They boasted in their protection. They boasted in what they had. And they were arrogant in it. Very prideful people. They even say it. Who can come up against us? Who shall bring us down? And it says there at the beginning of verse 3, do you see that? The pride of thine heart has deceived thee. Isn't that what pride does to you? It deceives you. Did you know that? What do you mean, Josh? Pride deceives you, and let me show you how. 
somebody comes up to you and tries to tell you something that you are wrong in. You say, no, I'm not. Pride. And sometimes you can dig yourself such a hole that you will blind yourself so much that you can't see something that everyone else sees. It's a perfect picture of what? You've heard me tell it many times. That guy who has something on his face. He's eating a cream cheese bagel. He's pounding away, you know, and all of a sudden he's got his... He got it for some reason up here on the top of his cheek there, sitting under his eye, and you're just like, how did you even do that? You're looking at him. Everybody's looking at him. Everybody knows it's there. And you walk up to him and you tell him, and he's embarrassed, right? Listen, pride blinds you just like that, and this is why. Because there could be something on your face that everyone sees. And people have been trying to tell you for a long time, your mom, and you don't see it. I don't have cream cheese on my face. No, I don't. No, I don't. Trying to tell you, trying to help you, trying to bless you, but you can't see it. This is what pride does. Arrogance blinds you. It messes you up. Pride is the root of all sin. It's the thing that tries to say me, me, me all the time. You always think you're the best. You always think good things about yourself. Let me explain how. This is pride as well. When you look at other people and you size them up, you try to figure out where they're not good at something and you're better than them. And that makes you feel better. You do it all the time without you even realizing it. That's how pride blinds you. If you start to examine how you look at people, you'll wake up really fast. Just start looking at the way that you view people. Just look at me, for instance. Look at the things that you view negatively about me. You will see those things, and you could even hold it against me. But look at the things that you hold against your friends, the little little bit of bitterness in your heart, the little root, small things that you think about them, that you say, oh, there's a lot of good things over here, but there's this little thing over here. And you'd love to hold that thing against them or even put it over the head because it makes you feel better about yourself. And that's pride. Pride is always rooting for you. Always trying to get you to be number one. Hey, when you're in an argument with somebody, pride is that thing that makes you want to keep arguing. You know what the opposite of pride is? Humility. You know what is difficult to do? Look somebody in the face and say, I'm sorry and I'm wrong. I am absolutely wrong and you are right. It's hard to do, huh? When your mom tells you, your dad told you, you're, you're right. Your boss told you. What if you know you're right and you even take it a step further and you say, you know what? I'm wrong. And I just want to say the reason why I'm wrong is because I was rude. And I'm sorry. You see, pride is what sneaks up on you, messes your life up without you even realizing it. I was probably the most arrogant guy in my entire high school. I guarantee it. And it blinded me all those years. I really thought I was being honest with myself. I genuinely thought like, man, I'm better than you. What? I'm better than you at this sport. I'm better at you at this. I'm better. It's just like, what? I mean, I'm just being honest. Like, don't, don't, don't be bummed about it. 
It's really easy for me. Uh, you see, I can be arrogant very quickly. <laughs> I can be very conceited very easily. It's very close to home, I'm telling you. It's like, what? I'm better than you. You know, it's like, don't, don't, get, don't get mad. You know, it's like, I'll beat you. You know, it's like, and I used to tell people this. I'm like, I can do anything that you can do, but better. And I will do it better every time. Prideful and conceited, huh? Arrogant. You're like, gosh, Josh, I'm not listening to you anymore. I'm out of here. I'm serious. I used to think this, but you want to know why I thought it? Because I would try so hard to beat everyone at everything. And I would get so bummed if I didn't. So I'd work very hard at it. It's the pride that just boils within me. It's something I've had to battle. And it wasn't until my best buddy, you know him well, he comes here. He looked me in the face and said, you're the most prideful person I know. You're the most arrogant guy. I got ticked. I started, what? How are you going to call me prideful? What are you talking Being prideful, right? I can't even believe it. Man, you're prideful for saying that. You know, why are you calling me up? Pride, 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 pride. You know, it's just like starts boiling out of you and you don't even realize it. But later on that day and later on that week, the Lord just smashed me. He took a brick and just smashed me in my face. Because I started to see, he started to reveal to me all the situations that were always about me. Always about me. And if you look at your life, if you start to examine your life, you will see how you constantly think about you trying to get your way, trying to do things that you want, trying to get people to move to make your life more comfortable. You constantly try to satisfy you, and that is pride. Don't do it. It's wickedness. It's really sad when it creeps in. That's the sin that kicked Lucifer out of heaven. Did you know that? It's the greatest sin. Pride. Pride is at the root of every single sin. You examine it, and you take it back, it will come back every single time. Why do you fall into sin? Things that you know you shouldn't do, but you do. Because you want to do it. You want what makes you feel good, what you think you need, what you think you want. You think you should win that argument. You think you should have it this way. You think you should change the situation. You think you need to step in. You think you need to have... No. Jesus was the polar opposite of pride, wasn't he? He left all of glory, came down to this earth, and lived as a homeless man. It was not about him. He came to this earth not to be served, but to serve. And isn't that the kingdom message all the way through and through? Lose your life for me and you will gain everything. You lose your life. Deny yourself. Stop thinking about you. Get you out of the way. It's humanism. It's the very root of our being. It's survival of the fittest. It's all about you. I got to do whatever it takes to make sure my life is comfortable and I'm happy. And that, if you pursue that and chase that with all of your life, that's pride. And you will destroy yourself and you will hate your life when you die. This is the sin that God hates more than anything is a prideful and haughty spirit. And this is what this nation had. Look at verse 4. Though you exalt thyself as the eagle, 
And though thou set thy nest among the stars, did you see that? Thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. God says, you've, you've set yourself up this high. You, you walk around with your head all high. You walk around with your nose in the air. You walk around thinking that you're better than everyone. God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tear that down. You, you, you hang yourself so high in the stars, I'm going to rip you from the sky. I'm going to take your nest that's high in the tree and I'm going to throw it to the ground. That's Orange County, huh? That's what it's all about, man. That's the OC. It's so funny. You go to Australia and talk about the OC. I mean, they just, they're like, you live there? So you like movie stars everywhere? No. Can't you just feel pride creeping in sometimes, though? Sneaking into your heart. You can feel the arrogance. I would challenge you. I would. Ch- We're going to do it before the night's over. We're going to pray, God, show, to, show me where I'm prideful. Show me where I'm arrogant. Show me where it's all about me. And then we're going to get honest before the Lord and change that, aren't we? In Jesus' name. Because that's what Christians do. We submit to the will of God. We give up our lives. And if you don't, this is what will happen. God will take you out of the sky and throw you to the ground. He will take that nest and destroy it. And isn't it sad when that happens with Christians? So prideful and arrogant, they walk away from God and say, Get out of here, God. I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah, I know about that forgiveness thing. Thanks. I'm going to use that later. Thanks for the the blood and everything. I'm going to use that later. I need that grace because I'm going to go and sin and do my thing. And then when I'm ready, I'm gonna, I'll come and I'll do my thing with you. And hey, when I have family, you know, we'll do that. We'll, we'll do that, Lord. Don't do that. It's scary for you. That's danger. Because God disciplines those that He loves. He will chase you down. Verse five: If thieves came to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If the Grape gatherers came to thee. Would they not leave some grapes? How were the things of Esau searched out? How are his hidden things sought up? And the men, I'm sorry, all the men of thy confederacy have brought thee even to the border. The men that were at peace with thee have deceived thee and have prevailed against thee. They have eat thy bread and have laid a wound under thee. There is nothing, there is none understanding in him. Shall I not in that day, saith the Lord, even destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of the mount of Esau? And thy mighty men, O Taman, shall be dismayed to the end that every one of the mount of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For Look at verse 10. For thy violence shall... For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. And you know this actually happened? You see this prophecy right here? This is prophesied. They don't know the exact date, but somewhere maybe 1,000 B.C. or maybe even further back than that. This prophesied, and it actually came to pass in 70 A.D. Do you know any, any nation that's called Edom or the Edomites? No, they have been cut off forever. You know what happened? When they came in to try and help defend, well, number one, 
if you go if you go to Petra, even in this day when they found it, they just discovered Petra not too long ago. I think it was in the 1800s. They rediscovered this place where there is thousands of caves. This was a rich city. This place had thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in it. Very rich city. Why was it rich? Because they figured out a way to store water. It didn't even rain something like, I don't know, a foot a year or like an inch a year, something crazy like that in their area. And somehow they had a way of bringing water into the city. And so people coming through the desert didn't have water. And so they would sell it to them at big bucks, just like people do with gas in our day. And they made big money on it. So the city was very wealthy and had lots of things. But guess what happened when they were overtaken? The people came in. And by the hand of God, the enemy came in and swept out the Enemites so bad that they took every single piece of property. They licked up everything out of their city. Nothing was left. And there is no trace of them, no sign of them. They're completely gone. It says you'll be destroyed forever. And there was a big slaughter that happened in 70 AD in the temple. I believe 20,000 soldiers came into Jerusalem to try and help defend from the Edomites. And as they came in, I believe his name was Titus. The emperor there at that time came in with all of his soldiers. They burnt down the temple and 85,000 Edomites were burnt to death. And then they slaughtered the other 12,000 right there in front of Jerusalem, in front of the temple. They burnt down the temple. Remember in 70 AD, the Romans came in and trashed the place. Just as was prophesied thousands of years ago. God said this was going to happen. Why? Because of the pride in your heart. Look at verse 10. I'm sorry, 12. We're in 12. No, we're in 11. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive, captive his forces... And foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem. Even thou wast at one one of them. But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother and the day that he became a stranger. See, talking about his brother Jacob, who is who? Israel. You should have not neither. You should have not rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction. Neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Thou shouldest not entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands upon their substance in the day of their calamity. Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway, verse 14, to cut, cut off those of his that did escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of his distress. See, The Lord's calling them out. Obadiah, the servant of the Lord, is speaking to this nation and calling them out. It's like, man, because you came down on Israel, because you called them out and you put them down, this all of this has come upon you because of the pride in your heart. That's that's a warning for us too. Listen. I warn you tonight not to come down on those that God is blessing and that God has his hand upon. Be careful. If God is blessing someone and you're messed up or mad at them you're in the wrong i've heard it so many times say like do not cut down cod's anointed we need to be careful about this some of the great men who have walked amongst us some of the great men who have served god and done many things if you choose to try and cut them down you better be careful and you better make sure 
that you're cutting them down for a good reason. Because, man, you cut down even God's people who are in rebellion against him. And he strikes these people down for it. But I've seen even greater. It's amazing how, do you remember when Saul was after David? And David had a chance to kill Saul? And he came up to him in the cave and he got so close to Saul with a knife, he could have killed him right there on the spot because Saul was trying to kill David. And David came up and he cut some of Saul's garment off and took it away. And then he yelled to Saul and he held it up in the air. It's like, hey, Saul, I could have killed you right now, but I didn't. I was gracious unto you. Then what happened right after that? David went away and he smote his own heart. God convicted him. And he said, how dare I go and cut the hem off of God's anointed? Because God had anointed Saul king over Israel. And how dare David go and do that thing? Even though Saul was trying to kill him, David was convicted. I'm telling you, you need to be very careful in putting people down in any way, shape, or form. If you have bitterness in your heart towards someone, or if you're talking bad about someone who is serving God and loving the kingdom, I'm telling you, you may be in danger. There are many people who have tried to cut me down. I'm telling you. And I always wonder whether or not I should fight the battle or if I should just go and seek God. When I've tried to fight the battle, I get myself in just sticky mess. But when I go and just say the battle belongs to the Lord and sit quiet, I mean, He works it out in such a powerful way. It's happened so many times. And I've seen those just be almost cast off or struck down by those around. And it's not because I'm the greatest. It's not because I'm God's choice. It's not because of any one of those things. I think it just has to do with them and God more than anything else. You need to be careful within your own heart if you're condemning someone. Careful. For God is watching. That's what he was holding against these people. Look at verse 15. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. Do you see that? It's kind of like what goes around comes around, huh? Or you reap what you sow. Look, if you talk bad about people, I bet you people are going to talk bad about you all the time, huh? Right? Why not? Talk bad about everybody. Why wouldn't they talk bad about you? You're the person who talks bad about everyone. It's so amazing how that works in life. You just reap what you sow, bottom line. And listen, family, the repercussions of sin are always greater than what you can handle. You think that you can get away with it. No, you won't. It never works out that way. You will always have repercussions in your life. If you sin, repercussions. Just get ready for them. And they're always greater than what you can handle. It's like, I can handle this sin. It's going to be okay. It's not that big of a deal. Maybe the Edomites were saying that, huh? We're prideful. We're arrogant. We're going to take down God's people. Careful. They were struck down, wiped off the face of the earth, never to be heard again. Verse 16, For as ye drunk upon, all my, my, upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Wow. He's talking about judgment. Yea, they shall drink, and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness. And the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. That's right. The righteous will prosper. Bottom line. 
I love what my buddy Dion was telling me just uh, last night. He's talking about this guy. His name's Devin. I haven't met him yet, but I got to meet this guy. He's 27. He has like seven kids. Don't ask me how that works. Sorry. <clears throat> He's got seven kids, and guess what? They all love the Lord, and they worship the Lord every single morning at 7 a.m. <clears throat> this guy is so legit. He lays out a blanket in the morning. All of his kids sit around. They clap, and they sing before the Lord. They all go around and pray, and they exalt Jesus every single morning. Their favorite phrase that they say in the house is, Thank you, Jesus. All the time. <clears throat> From the smallest to the oldest, they exalt the Lord. And he said, this guy is so godly. I mean, he has wrecked my... He got to go over to their house and spend the night there a few times and experience this entire thing. And he's like, Josh, you won't believe it, man. Nephew, you got to check this out. I'm just like, I know. And I'm going to. I can't wait to get over to that house, man. I got to see this. Because it's not happening. But the reason why I bring up Devin is because he said... He works the same as all of us do at, at, at work. And uh, he's been working there less than any of us have. And he's been, he's been exalted. And he has been promoted to supervisor over all the guys. And nobody gets No one knows why. Just bottom line. The righteous have been exalted in the place. And Dion sees it through spiritual eyes and recognizes the blessing of God. I'm telling you. When God has his hand of favor upon a man, who can stop him? Who will stand in his way? He will run over every single foe that tries to get in his way. That woman who exalts the Lord will be unstoppable. Who can come up against her? No one. But those who walk in wickedness, destruction is coming your way. Just be honest with yourself. The righteous will be blessed and will inherit Verse 18, and the house of Jacob shall be a, listen, look at this, this is awesome. The house of Jacob, Israel, shall be a fire, okay? And the house of Joseph shall be what? A flame. And the house of Esau will be what? Stubble. The fire will come and burn the wicked. The righteousness will cast down the wicked and devour them. And there shall not be any remaining of the House of Esau, for the Lord has spoken it. And they of the south shall possess the mount of Esau, and they of the plain, the Philistines, and they shall possess the fields of Ephraim, and the fields of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. And the captivity of the host and the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites, even unto Zarephath. And the captivity of Jerusalem, which is in Shepherd, I'm sorry, Sephard, shall possess the cities of the south, and Savior shall come upon the Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. The city will be taken over. It will be conquered, and it will belong to who? It will be given back to Israel. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing how even a boss could come in and be wicked to you in your job and take everything away from you? But he doesn't know that there's a God in heaven who fights the battle for you. And it will give back all that has been taken away. Bottom line. 
The righteous will be exalted. There's nothing to worry about. There's nothing to fight. The servant of the Lord comes rebuking this nation. You guys are going to hate me for this. Are you ready? We're going through Jonah. Turn the page. We have four more chapters. Yep. I'm dead serious. Like, Josh, no. In Jesus' name, receive it. You've not come to this place to be comfortable. I'm going to wreck your world tonight, all right? This is the most powerful story as I got to reread it. It is an awesome story. Movie, action-packed. Get your popcorn, get on your 3D glasses, and get ready, okay? Because you're going mean, to... I love this. And I have to get through this book or we're not going to be able to touch it, okay? We're not even going to be able to touch it. We'll be in the next book next week. This story is so fascinating... Let's just read it. Jonah. Jonah. This story is what? It's a whale of a tale, huh? You like that? Saucy, you like that? Yeah, whale of a tale, baby. You know the story well. You were taught it when you were a kid in Sunday school, but now we get to look at it in depth. Look at this. Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of him, Amite, Amittai, saying, he said this, the Lord said to him, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Wow. Okay, who's Nineveh? Do you remember? Nineveh, who, what's their capital city? Anybody know? Anyone know? Bible students, come on, their capital city. Assyria. Who were the Assyrians? Basically the most wicked people to ever walk the earth. You know what they do to people? They would put hooks in their, in their captives' nose. They would carry them around with a rope. They would skin them alive. They would cut their heads off in mountains of skulls when they killed their people. They would take a person and impale them from the backside all the way up into their neck and set them on stakes around the city to let anyone know, if you mess with us, we're going to kill you. We're going to skin you alive. They'd cut out their tongues and throw them in piles. They were some of the most wicked people as far as just being brutal and violent the earth has ever seen. And God says, Jonah, go to Assyria, go to Nineveh and go tell them to repent. What do you think about that? What if God told you, go to, uh, go to um, Iran? And go tell them to repent in Jesus' name. And go to North Korea, communist country. Go tell them in Jesus' name to repent. You'd be like, what? I ain't going there. I'm going on a cruise. That's exactly what Jonah does, huh? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Gotcha. Yep, he tells them to go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Jonah rose up, and he went to where? Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord. Interesting. You see that? Circle that word, from the presence of the Lord. Where did he run from? The presence of the Lord. Isn't that interesting that it says that there in the Old Testament? He ran from the presence of the Lord. If you're running from the presence of God, you're in big trouble. Huh? 
Are you running from God tonight? Are you running from his presence? Does he desire to be close to you? You want to go on a cruise? Well, it says here, he went down to Joppa. I've seen Joppa. I've been on there on the shores. It's pretty sweet. It's right there by Tel Aviv. It's right there uh, in the middle of, uh, it's kind of the middle of Israel, right there on the shore. And I see the places where the ships go out. And I saw the actual place that Jonah got in a boat and took off right there in Joppa. Yeah. He found a ship going to Tarshish. This is Spain. And he, and he did what? He paid, a, he paid the fare, huh? He paid money. And went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord for the second time. So Jonah gets on a boat. He pays cash money to go to Spain. Hey, that costs some bucks, huh? Especially in that day. You want to get on a boat? And go to another country, that's probably going to cost you money. Big money. So he pays big money to run from God. Interesting. I think there are a lot of people paying big money to run from God, even tonight. How hard is it to run from God? It's pretty hard, huh? You've got to really try. You've got to pull out that cash money and slap it on the table and say, man, I'm going to Spain. It's difficult to run from God because He calls out to you, huh? The presence of the Lord speaks to your heart. And you can keep blocking it out and keep blocking it out, but eventually God's going to catch you. Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But, verse 4, the Lord sent out. What does that say? Say it with me. The Lord sent out. Who sent it out? The Lord sent out. What did he send out? A great wind of the sea. And there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. The Lord sent out a wind. Who did it? The Lord. The Lord would never send a storm into the sea. He would never do something like that. Really? Doing it right now? And he sent it so much that it says here in the King James, the boat was about to break. That's a pretty crazy storm, huh? I know if you've ever been out on the ocean, but I've never been in a storm. And just even the little wave, that boat starts rocking, and you're just like, man. I mean, there's just little five-foot waves coming at you, and it's no big deal. I mean, we're talking 20, 30, 50-foot waves. Could you imagine? And who did it? Not the enemy, not the devil. Who did it? The Lord did it. Because why? Jonah was running from the presence of the Lord, huh? He paid cash money to go on a boat. Would the Lord send a storm into your life? Because you're running from the presence of the Lord? No way. He would never do that. Oh, really? Read the book of Jonah. It says it right there. The Lord sent a great wind, so much so the boat was about to break. Look at verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid. The shipmen, they, they were afraid. And cried every man unto who? His God. Isn't that crazy? It's like if you're sitting on the ship, well, Jonah was down there. You'll see he's sleeping. All the sailors start crying out to who? Their gods. They're crying out, Buddha! Hare Krishna! They're crying out to their gods. Allah, save me now. They cry out to gods that are dead. They cried every man to his own god and cast forth the wares that were in the ship. To, into the sea to lighten it up. Interesting. They start throwing everything overboard as they're crying out to their gods. Isn't that funny? 
They start crying out to their gods, and then they start throwing stuff overboard. What a scene, huh? The boats rock and everything's going nuts. It's just like, ah, save us, save us. Well, it's not working. Start throwing things overboard. And that's exactly how it works. Don't you know that, family? What is your God? And do you cry out to that God when you're in distress? Is it your boyfriend? Is it your girlfriend? Is it the skin God? You've seen that on the back of trucks everywhere, that idol Oh, yeah. It's a God. A lot, of, a lot of men serve that God, huh? You cry out to that God when you're in distress? It ain't going to save you. There's only one God that will save you. His name is Jesus. You need to call upon that God. You need to stop running from the presence of the Lord, Jonah. They start to throw things over, but Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he was laying and fast asleep funny he's sleeping down in the boat running he's fast asleep i mean he's ran from god he's down there just taking a little cat nap and uh i wonder if he'd just been stressing the last few days because god spoke to him he knows what he's supposed to be doing maybe he stayed up all night for the past few days and all of a sudden he's got himself on a boat and he's just like, I want to forget about all this and I just want to go to sleep. I don't want to deal with this. Maybe you've been there. I have. The bottom falls out of your life and it's like, I'm going to sleep. I don't want to wake up. He goes down there to go to sleep and look what happens. This is hilarious. Verse 6, so the shipmaster came to him. (laughs) The captain comes to him and said to him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. If so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. Can you imagine? You're running from this God. You've gone on this ship. You're going on a cruise to get away. Can you imagine being on a cruise? The waves start to go nuts. The ship's being knocked to and fro. You're laying in your bed. You're trying to run from your God because you did something wrong. The captain kicks in your door, comes in and says, Wake up! Wake up, call upon your God, call upon your God and save. Can you imagine just being startled? Waking up to that, looking the captain in the face like, are you serious? I'm trying to run from God, man. And how do you know that I know God? How do you know that I'm one of his prophets? What a divine appointment, huh? What a divine moment there for Jonah. I wonder if he woke up just completely startled and freaked out and just shocked. Because God had gotten his face. Look what happens. And they said, every one to his fellow, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for who caused this evil to come upon us. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. I can't believe this. They they say to one another, Hey guys, okay, we got to figure this out. Okay, let's cast lots, and whoever it points at, whoever this lot turns to, it's like kind of like spin the bottle. Okay, we're going to spin this bottle. Whichever guy in the circle it points to, that's the one whose evil this has come upon, okay? Here we go. They're on the ship. It's rocking. They, they, they spin it, and they're sitting there, and all of a sudden, the bottle stops, and there's Jonah over in the corner, and it's pointing right towards him. And they look at him. <laughs> look what they say. They, I mean, they call him an idiot. They get ticked at him. Look at So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah, verse 7 and verse 8. And then they said to him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation? And where do you come from? What is thine country? 
And of what people art thou? They call him out. And he said to them, here it is. Are you ready? Look at this. He says it straight up. I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Wow. Can you imagine? They look him like, dude, what are you doing, man? The bottle turned towards you. There's something wrong here. Tell us what's going on. He's like, okay, fine. All right, I'm a Jew. Yeah, I serve the living God. And it's me. This is the reason. It's me that has come upon this boat. Verse 10, what happens? Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? They, they got freaked out. They probably had turned into ghosts, man. They got white. For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them, Jonah told them, I'm running from God right now. I'm running from the presence of the Lord. Is that you tonight? Is God speaking to you? Are you running from something? And he's speaking clearly into your life. What does it take? Do I need to get in your face and wake you up and shake you in your cabin as your captain? What are you doing? The lot's pointing at you tonight. Wake up. Stop running from God. Does something great need to happen to you? Something crazy need to go down for you to open your eyes and wake up? Look at verse 11. Then they said unto him, What shall we do unto thee that the sea might be calm unto us? For the sea wroth and was temptuous. So they look him in the face. Jonah, hey Joe, hey Joey, what are we supposed to do? Your God is calling you out and chasing you. What do you want us to do? And look what he tells them. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great temptest is come upon you. Wow. Can you imagine? You're on a boat. Storm's breaking loose. You know it's because of this guy. You look him in the face like, dude, what are we supposed to do, man? This is between you and God. What are we supposed to do? He's like, you need to throw me over. Huh? Yeah, you need to take me and throw me overboard. And this thing will go calm. Can you imagine one of your friends looking you in the face? Throw me over the boat. Uh, I'm going to throw you over the boat. There's 20-foot waves right there, man. You're going to drown and die. So you're saying we have to kill you. We've got to murder you tonight. We've got to take you and throw you overboard. I ain't doing this. And look what they do. They don't. Nevertheless, the men do what? They rowed harder to bring it to land. They didn't listen to Jonah. They start rowing. And isn't that what we do many times? Hey, you know your friend's in sin, and you know you should throw him overboard, yet you do what? You just keep rowing harder. You keep acting like nothing is happening, like nothing's going on. You know, I just had to call out one of my friends more than I ever have in my entire life. Hardest thing I ever did. And he got ticked, very angry with me. (sighs) I told him I had to. I said, I'll regret this for the rest of my life. I don't call you out and be honest with you and be upfront with you. And look, there's people who are near you, who are close to you, who have stuff all over their face that need it to be cleaned off. That you need to tell them and be honest with them and bless them. You need to throw them overboard so that they can be blessed. It's difficult, huh? It's not an easy route to take. 
Look at my job. You think this is easy? I got to come up and put you through this tonight. I would love to close the book and be done. But that's not what God has called me to. I'll be held accountable for this. I've got to teach the word and proclaim the truth to you. We're all called to do something, and some are called to throw a man overboard, and that's if, what, if that's what you're called to do, you've got to do it. And so guess what? They start paddling harder, but they could not bring it to sea, for it was wrought against them. Verse 14, Wherefore they cried unto the Lord. Look at this. This is awesome. They cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. Wow. They cry out to God in repentance. Isn't this amazing? I put right here next to, uh, actually, we're going to keep reading and I'll explain it. But it's amazing. They start to cry out to God. Weren't they just crying out to their gods before, just a few minutes before? Now they're crying out to the God, our God, our King. So they took Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and it ceased from her raging. Can you imagine this? You got him by the legs, and I got him by the arms. We're like, all right, you guys ready? We've got to toss him overboard. Jonah, I'm sorry, man. We're doing what you told us to do. Here we go. One. Waves are going. Two. Wind is blowing, howling. Three. They throw him overboard, and as soon as he hits the water, it's like the whole thing just goes flat, and a bird comes out. It says the water ceased. You see that? It ceased from her raging. Then what happened, verse 16, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Isn't that awesome? Hey, hey, look back at verse 4. What does it say? But the Lord sent a what? Great wind. The Lord sent a what? Great wind. Why? I believe so that these men would come to salvation. The Lord caused this tragedy to happen so that these men would cry out to God, take Jonah, throw him over the boat. They would see the power of the Lord. The, the water would go flat. They would be blown away by it, and they would fall on their face, make a vow to God, and sacrifice right there on the spot. Not incredible. Many times God has to take us to this place before we make vows. Verse 17, now the Lord had prepared what? A great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Dun, dun, dun. So they threw him overboard. The sea goes flat and they cry out to God in repentance. And all of a sudden, what? Jonah's just sitting there like, oh man, what's going to go on here? And all of a sudden he just gets swallowed by this big fish. Wow. <sighs> Love this story. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord. Look at this. This is awesome. Then Jonah, huh? Then. Then Jonah prayed. Then Jonah prayed. What's the then in your life? What does it take for you to pray? Somebody have to get cancer in your family for you to pray? Then 
Mary prayed. Then Joshua bent the knee and prayed. What does it take? Does it take a big fish? That's what it did for Jonah, huh? And I like that it says a big fish because that's exactly what's to happen sometimes. God will allow big things and tragedy to happen in order for your eyes to be opened. The wind will come. The fish will come. I don't know who taught you or where people get this, that when you come to Christianity, life will be la-di-da. the contrary. It is the best way of life, yes. But when you step in, it's like getting into a gang. You're not getting out. And God is going to pursue you. And he's going to discipline you and help you to have the best life possible to bring him glory. And so if you're not ready to seek God tonight, then leave. Run from God. And if it takes a big fish to get your attention, then so be it. Look, I'm in this game. I can't get out. Do you think I'm handcuffed to God? Look at me. You think I could run from God? I'm in, man. I'm not getting out. And it is the greatest decision I ever made. Because God has taken care of me. And when you do what he says, you're blessed, aren't you? And we're about to see the unbelievable happen. One of the greatest things in the history of the entire Bible. Listen, the greatest revival we, any man has ever seen on the face of the earth is happening right here in this story. You want revival to happen? I'm going to show you how. Jonah prayed. Unto the Lord is God out of the fish's belly. I love that. He was in the belly of a fish and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord. And he heard me. Isn't that great? The Lord heard him. Out of the belly of hell, he says, cried I. And thou heard my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep, into the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed about me. All thy billows and all the waves passed over me. This is scary, huh? Man, when he got thrown, I mean, the waves has taken him over. I can't even imagine. Verse 4, Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward the holy temple. Repentance, I love it. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me around about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I wonder if there was seaweed on his head. I don't know. I mean, he was, he was in the belly of a fish. It's crazy. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Get house thou brought up my life from corruption, Lord my God. What a prayer, huh? When my soul fainted, verse 7, Within me, I remembered the Lord. This is key. Stay with me, family, please. Stay with me. This is such an awesome point for all of you in here. It says, verse 7, When my soul fainted within me, I what? I remembered the Lord. If your soul faints... You remember Jesus. Listen, if your soul faints, or should I say, when your soul faints, you remember Jesus. You get close to the cross. 
You get on your face and you run to your king. You remember the Lord. Don't remember how you're going to get out of the situation. Don't try to remember a friend that you need to talk to to help you through it. Don't, no. Don't remember anything but the Lord. I'm telling you, it is absolutely incredible how many people will go and try to receive counsel from everyone around them, yet they have not even sought the Lord about the issue yet. Man, I got the sweetest time with God just the other night. It was awesome. A buddy of mine instructed me, looked me in the face, I had lunch with him. He's like, Josh, you're going to climb a rock. I'm like, huh? He's like, you're going, we're going to meet this Friday, and you better go climb a rock this week. Go tell me what the Lord spoke to you. I'm like, all right. And as it was about 11 o'clock at night after doing what I do, just ministering and stuff, I'm like, man, I'm going to sleep. Nope, knock, knock, knock. You're going to climb a rock. I don't want to climb a rock. I don't feel like it. You're climbing a rock. And you're going to go sit and wait upon the Lord. And I'm telling you, it was it was special moments for me and God. Let me just tell you that. I sat down, as soon as I sat down with my guitar on this rock, it's like 1130 at night. I look up at the sky and a comet just shoots across the sky and I'm like, what? Like the Lord just shouting to me as loud as he can. Like, I'm here, man. Like, what are you waiting for? And I'm telling you some of the sweetest songs started to come forth during that time. Just the words of my heart, just expressing unto God. I got to bless God and just get a lot off my chest, a lot off my back. And I wish I could remember those songs because they were so awesome. But I think they were just for God that night. And it just renewed my soul. I just sought God. You may think that this is the antidote for you to come here tonight and listen to this message and that's going to change you. I'm telling you. You need to go. Get alone with Jesus. I don't have the answer for you. But Jesus does. You get your eyes on the cross. You get alone with Jesus and watch what happens in your life. When your soul faints, you do what? Don't remember anything but Jesus. Please. Because that's what Jonah did, and look what happened. Verse 8, They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice unto thee with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And I wrote, yay, next to that. Verse 10, And the Lord spake unto the fish. Did you see that? The Lord did what? The Lord spoke to the fish. Hey, fish. Hey, you. Yeah, big fish. Throw him up. The creation obeys the living God, huh? Yeah, you could walk up to a cow and just be like, you know Jesus, huh? You obey him. I know you do. Any fish, any it doesn't matter who it is. King of the jungle, you ain't got nothing on Jesus, man, when he walks by. Jesus doesn't need a gun. Just walks over and just says, you... Quiet your mouth, lions in the den. Donkey, you're going to talk today. And fish, you're going to swallow somebody. He just tells them what to do, huh? 
And the Lord says, throw up Jonah right now. It's time. He, I wonder if the Lord whisper in the fish here. He's like, hey, he repented. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Throw him up. That's all the Lord's waiting for, isn't he? Just waiting for us to repent. Just waiting for us to get things right with him. That's what he's always waiting for. Let us be a people who love to repent and turn towards God. That's it. I'm not talking about giving up sin. I'm not talking about... Look, the sin will fall off your life. All you do is just turn to God and chase Him and pursue Him. And all of that will just evaporate from your life. Just repent. Chapter 3. Are you ready? Come on, we got 16 verses and we're done. Do you guys need to stand? You're going to be all right. I've done it before. I've preached in the middle of the night. You know that. Yeah, we'll stand. Come on, stand up. Hey, we'll stand and read the rest. Come on. Dang, man, I don't want to stand. Right? Well, sorry. Stand up. Hey, we're reading the scriptures. Good thing. No, we got more than 16 scriptures, don't we, man? We got, I forgot the other page. Yeah, you guys definitely need to stand. <laughs> okay, listen up, listen up. Can you guys hear me out there, Saucy? All right. We're going to finish this. You're going to walk away saying, man, we, we conquered two books tonight. Okay, listen, we're about to watch the greatest revival in the history, man. You ready for this? Chapter 3. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, here it is, he told him again, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Of three days journey stop there now you got to imagine this guy being thrown up by a fish what did he look like he was in the fish for three days look his skin was probably like white as snow because of the sulfuric acid and whatever else is in there that would eat away his flesh and all of his hair on his body I mean the guy would walk, who knows if he, he didn't have clothes on he just got thrown up and he's walking into the city can you imagine just walking into the city, walking into Nineveh. He's about to proclaim the truth. I mean, he probably looked like a ghost or some crazy creature. But here he comes, walking into the city. Remember the city who what? Killed people, skinned them alive, stuck them through with a spear. And here comes Jonah. It's a three days journey. That's a long walk, huh? And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. And he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. What if God told you to do that? Go to North Korea. Go to China. And say, in 40 days, this city's going to be done. You just start yelling that at the top of your lungs. Hey, everybody, city's going down. What if I started shouting here in Riverside, just walking on the street? I'm over there at the plaza, you know, just like shouting as loud as I can. 40 days, and this place is going to roast, man. You better repent. I mean, just, can you imagine? Freak, you're crazy, man. But this is exactly what he starts doing. So the people of Nineveh did what? Verse 5. They believed God. And they did what? Proclaimed a fast. And put on sackcloth. What's that? Remember that's when you put on that onion bag. That potato bag. You throw ashes on your head. Why would they do that? It shows that they repented towards God. 
from the greatest even to the least of them. Hey, the rich and the poor. Can you imagine everybody in Orange County taking off their nice suits and putting on these potato bags and walking around, humbled before God, crying out to God in repentance? Wow. One of the greatest cities on the face of the earth in that time, Nineveh was. Scholars say it probably was the greatest city on the face of the earth. Can you imagine New York City or Los Angeles bowing the knee to Jesus Christ? Wow, the whole city, the greatest to the least, millionaires even to the poor, all of them bowed the knee. And look what happens. Verse 6, For word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him. Wow, he took off his robe, the king. And he covered himself with sackcloth and satin ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither beast, man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let him not feed nor drink water. Wow. And I put amen. Praise God. Because the king said, hey, on MTV and on Fox News and on ABC and in every newspaper, New York Times and the Press Enterprise, you tell everyone throughout this nation, no one is eating anything. No one is going to drink anything. Everyone is going to be in repentance before God. No one's moving until we get things right with God. What a powerful movement, huh? Can you imagine that? The president comes on, that, that screen comes on on the TV. Boo! This is a test. You know, that whole thing? No, but it's the real deal. And the president comes on and says, hey, we're proclaiming a fast to every single person in America. You are not to eat today. You are to bow before the living God and exalt him as king in your life. And no one is moving until we do. And can you imagine the entire nation falling on their face before God? Oh, please, Jesus, bring it. Verse 8, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one his evil way. And from the violence that is in their hands, who can tell if God will turn and repent, turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? Verse 10, and God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. Wow. What a story, huh? And the Lord lets them go free. Revival breaks out in the land and they all exalt God. About 600,000 people in that city. 600,000 people come to Jesus. 600,000 people repent to God. Day of Pentecost is about 3,000. About 5,000 right after that. We're talking 600,000 people. Can you imagine? That's what we need, huh? That's what we need to happen in this nation. But it takes people like you and people like me to give up their lives for the sake of God. I want to challenge you even right now. This is, watch this, this is a perfect illustration of what is happening right now. See how difficult it is just even to stand and pay attention? This is the most minor thing that you could do in your walk even tonight. The most powerful thing you could do is repent of the things that you're doing. Start seeking God with all your heart. But the reason I bring up this illustration is to show how weak we really are. We as people are so weak spiritually. 
You see how much it's so about us and how much we desire to please ourselves and give ourselves what we want. We do it all the time. We do it in listening to sermons. We do it in standing. We do it when we want to eat. We've got to give ourselves food as fast as we can. We please ourselves day and night. What I'm saying to you is to crucify your flesh. To tell your mind and to tell your heart and to tell yourself, you will listen to me and you will do what I want to do. My spirit desires to stand and to listen and to take heed to what the word is saying. My spirit desires to repent and to turn to God and walk in the right direction. And I'm going to do that. I'm not going to listen to me anymore. I've destroyed myself with the way that I want to live. I want to live God's way. I'm telling you, that is how. You see, even the king gave up his robe and got on his face. That's how revival breaks out. It starts in you tonight. It starts in me, each one of us. Chapter 4. I'll read through it, and I'll give you the illustration, and we'll be done. But it displeased Jonah. Oh, Jonah. Joey, what are you doing, man? It, It displeased him what? Exceedingly, and he was very angry. He was angry because the people repented. He wanted God to smote them all. He probably ran through the city shouting, God's going to kill all you. Ah, you've been doing all this wicked stuff. I can't wait to see you all die. You know, you're going to burn. And all, they, all, they all went, what? What? And they just repent and they turn to God. And then the Lord says, I'm going to be gracious unto them. Jonah gets ticked off. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, unto Spain, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and a merciful, slow to anger of great kindness and repentancy of evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Look at him. This prophet of God. This pro- th- That's a car. <laughs> this prophet of God is ticked because the people repented. Jonah, what are you doing? He wants to die because this happened. And maybe it would be the same for you. What if someone came and murdered your family and the guy repented and came to Jesus? Would you be ticked off now that he gets heaven? Or would you be blessed that God saved him? It's a hard thing to swallow, huh? These Assyrians are wicked. They're a wicked nation. Jonah wanted him to die and burn in hell. But God saved him. That shows how gracious and merciful our king is, huh? Isn't he a great God? Jeez. He saved the most wicked people on the face of the earth. You thought your dad was hard, huh? You thought your mom was difficult to get through. You thought your brother or sister or friend who needs to know Jesus was a difficult... They're never going to come to Jesus, huh? Go talk to the Assyrians. Verse 4, Then said the Lord... Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went outside the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth or a tent and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would come of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd or in the Hebrew, it's a weird name and I can't say it, kikajan. Or probably in tra- your translation says what, a plant? Yeah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceedingly glad from the plant. He gets all happy. (laughs) 
He's, he's ticked off that the people repented and he's happy because this plant grew over his head. Verse 7, but God prepared a what? Worm. When the morning rose the next day, it smote the plant and it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did rise that God prepared. Look at God's preparing all this stuff. God sent the wind. God's doing this now. He sent the worm. And the sun beat upon the head of Jonah. God sent this wind that he fainted and wished in himself that he would die. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, does thou well to be angry for the, for the plant? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. And the Lord said, thou hast pity on the ground. For that which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in the night and perished in the night. And should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than 120,000 persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left? And as so much cattle. It ends with a question mark, just like that. Isn't that amazing? Jonah, exhausted from his journey of calling people to repentance, goes and sits, and this plant grows over him gives him shade and he falls asleep and God puts a worm on the plant to eat it away and he wakes up in this heat like maybe today it was 108 degrees outside and just blown on him and he faints he's saying to himself I just want to die and God's like dude what's wrong with you man you're all stoked that this plant came up out of nowhere you didn't plant it you didn't do anything but you were so stoked that it happened because it blessed you and isn't that pride isn't that us? And when something comes and works out for us, we're always happy. But if something works out good for somebody else, for some reason we want to be angry in our hearts many times. God says to Jonah, Jonah, why are you bummed? You didn't do anything. This is all me. And then he says, what about the 120,000 children who are in the city? Shouldn't I save them? And this is the word of the Lord for our lives. There are many times God is trying to do things in your life. It's all about you. You're just excited about some plant. God's trying to say, I'm trying to do something so much bigger than you can even imagine. I want to save 120,000 people. I want to do the unbelievable in someone's life. And you're worried about you. That's why I love how this just ties together Obadiah and Jonah. Such a powerful word. Because it was pride that destroyed the Edomites, wasn't it? And it was pride that stopped Jonah. It is pride that will eat you away even tonight. And so what I want to do is I want to ask God to reveal to you tonight, listen family, I want to ask the Father to speak into your life. And I want you to ask Him, Lord, what is it that I'm being disobedient in? Where is the pride in my life? Is there Nineveh that I need to go to? This takes honesty, doesn't it? It's no joke. And so, um, man, Look at you guys, troopers. I'm just so blessed.
Billy M. And I really hope that all of you are walking with God 20 years from now. I think it's moments like these when you choose to be honest with yourself that God takes and does great things in your life. Please don't take this for granted. Please don't miss out. Can we go before our God? Let's bow our heads, huh? Father, do you hear us? Look, Lord, your people, their hearts are bowed before you. You are the same God of Abraham. You are the God of Jacob and Isaac. You are the God of Obadiah. You are that same God that called out to Jonah. And you, our King, our God, call out to us tonight. And Father, I pray for each one here that they would open their hearts to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and reveal to them where they are being wicked, where pride is creeping into their hearts. And family, this is a time where you ask God. You say, search me, O God. Know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Analyze my heart, Father. Open my eyes to see where I am prideful and it's all about me. Help me to see my sin. Bring it before my face. Bring it before your people even now by your spirit, God. I pray that every single person would know in this moment what they need to get right and where they need to repent. In Jesus' name, please. And Father, I thank you where you've spoken into my heart, my life. And I pray for every single one that we would walk away from this place in victory. Family, repent of your sin. Can you say that I'm sorry to God? Can you repent even this moment? Say, God, I give you my life. I repent of this way. I repent of this wickedness. I know where I'm doing wrong. I see it clearly. Help me, O oh God, and walk in newness of life. If it's anger, put it away. If it's lust, let it go. If it's gossip, please. If it's just being apathetic and stagnant and lazy, let go. Move on. If God is speaking to you to do something and you're not doing it, open your ears tonight. Receive from God in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for these people. You would bless them. You would fill them with your Holy Spirit new and afresh. And you'd help them to walk in your ways according to your statutes. Help them, God, as their souls grow weary. Build them. Put a fire within their bones. Let them preach the gospel that all they come in contact with. Help them to live for you like never before. Empower them, please, God. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh, family, I love you guys. Uh, I've never done that before, so uh, it's a first for me. It's a first for you too, I'm sure. Please, listen, please. In the name of Jesus, 
Continue to fight against your flesh day and night. Don't give in to what your body desires and wants. You fight it. You wage war on yourself. You do what God wants you to do. And you'll be blessed, I promise you that. Amen? We got to do it. We only got one life. We got to do it for the kingdom. And when me and you get to heaven, and we look into the king's eyes, man. When you're standing there, I'll see you too. Hey, 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 hey. Good to see you. When we get there that day, these days will be the greatest moments because we're so thankful that we move forward in Jesus Christ. Amen? May the Lord bless you and keep you and his face shine upon you. Let him be gracious unto you all the days of your life. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll see you guys next week.